early 2000s, uh, my, my brother and my older brother uh, had, a, uh, had a punk rock band in Virginia Beach. And for a local act, they had a, a pretty significant following. And I always thought it was pretty cool uh, to be able to go, go to some of his shows and, and, and watch my brother play on some of the same stages as some of our favorite acts. Uh, but I think the thing that impressed me more than, than being able to be a part of that was, was being able to see the, the community of bands that came together to promote each other's music and to support each other. It was, it was a really incredible thing. Uh, it, they, they had this understanding that if the, uh, if the Tidewater music scene was going to be good, it was going to be better together. And there was one band that they played with that, uh, unfortunately, I never got the opportunity to see them, but I always really liked their music on CD. It was a band called The No Talent Show. And, uh, and while the group's name invoked the fresh images of the train wreck meets dumpster fire that, that was and arguably still is reality TV that kind of came into vogue during that, that time, uh, they were quite good. They were a ska band, which if you're not per fami particularly familiar with the style, take, uh, take what you know uh, about rock and add an energetic horn section uh, to that. And, and like I said, it's, it's probably one of my favorite, one of my favorite things. Well, well, my description invokes one image. There's actually a better description that I found on Twitter. It, sa it says this. It says, I once heard that Scott described as what plays in a 13-year-old kid's head when he gets extra mozzarella sticks. <laughs> and nothing in this world is more accurate. If you're 13 years old, you know what I'm talking about. Bah, 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 da, da. You know, <laughs> something like that. So what does that, have to do, uh, what does that have to do with the message here this morning? Nothing. <laughs> and everything. It really depends on who you are this morning and where you find yourself today. We'll get to that. I say this because this morning's message is, is one of those ones where if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, it is going to be a couple of parts challenging and encouraging here this morning. If you are not a Christian or you're trying to dip your toes into what it means to be a Christian, this message is one where you get to sit back. I'm giving you permission to sit back and listen. However, I do want to challenge you to dip your toes into the vast ocean that is following Jesus Christ. And I promise you that if you do, it can change the way that you look at the life that you have. This morning, we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14 and going to verse, verse 30. It's, it's one of the stories that Jesus tells to make a point, a parable. This one is called the parable of the talents or the parable of the bags of gold, dependent on the version that you read. We're going to be uh, reading, starting, if you're looking at the, uh, in the Bible in the pew in front of you, it's going to be starting on page 806. It's the bottom uh, portion of, of page 806. And again, that's, uh, that's Matthew chapter 25, starting in, uh, in verse 14. And reading from the New NIV, it says, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, and to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his talent, or each according to his ability, I'm sorry. Then he went on his journey. 
The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also, the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one with, who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and, whoever ha will, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the crowds thought, that's a pretty savage ending. Jesus, what's the deal with that? Okay, the last part isn't in there, but I guarantee that some of you thought that because over the years as I've read this passage of Scripture, that's been one of the thoughts that's been on my mind. But it, Jesus doesn't mince words, and we're going to get to that in just a minute. But before we do that, we need to give a little bit of context to the conversation. Jesus starts this parable out with the word again, meaning that it's a part of a bigger series of stories or that it's connected to a bigger conversation than the story in and of itself. If you caught on to that, I really want to encourage you, as you read scripture, look for those key words, whether the, they're the agains or the therefores or the, the, the comparative things, because those things will help you understand the, the context of scripture even more. Just just a little freebie for you here, here today. Um, so let's take a, a quick look into, uh, into some of these themes because these are going to be important. So we're going to dive into our notes here in, in uh, number one, the setup, understanding the Olivet Discourse. This parable is a part of a, a series of teachings that was called the Olivet Discourse. Some biblical scholars call the Olivet Discourse the Little Apocalypse, not to be confused with My Little Pony. 
It's an anticipation of the end of things, which every time I see an episode of My Little Pony, I'm anticipating the end of <laughs> the episode of My Little Pony. Not that I'm, you know, watching that or anything, but... It was an anticipation of the end of things, but it was also Jesus describing the beginning of the full and final reign and rule of the kingdom of God. And it's a short teaching, hence the little part of this description. But before anything else, before we get into anything, any other description of what this parable and this teaching is about, we have to understand that letter A, it is about the kingdom of God. It is a parable about the kingdom of God. Outside of God's relentless pursuit to restore humanity in relationship with himself, I don't think that there is a more pressing or urgent concept that Jesus wanted his followers to understand then, in that moment, and here today. Jesus wanted his followers to understand that the kingdom of God is God's rule and reign, both number one, here and now, and number two, there and then. Jesus establishes God's work in our world by reclaiming authority within it. It will and it must impact everything that we do as followers of Jesus. After all, the major platform of the kingdom party is first and foremost a love for God and secondly, a love for people, including our enemies, with the same care and concern as we love ourselves. It is a kingdom that should take precedence here and now because it will there and then as well. And the benefits of practicing it now is so that you're ready to welcome Jesus in his return when he returns in his fullness. In this parable, in, this, in, this, in the Olivet Discourse, it's letter B. It's, it's about preparation for it, preparation for the kingdom of God and personal responsibility within it. It's, it's, it is, it's about preparation for it and personal responsibility within it. These two are, are inseparable concepts. The, the parable that we're going to be diving into this morning is sandwiched between two closely related stories that outline our need to participate within the kingdom work and our readiness for Jesus' return. It's, it's between the, the parable of the ten virgins and the parable of the sheep and goats, both highlighting this urgency. If you're, if you're interested in, in learning more or, or, or you're interested in, in teachings on some of these parables, uh, uh, June uh, 2016, there's a message on ecwesleyan.net called Always a Bridesmaid uh, that, uh, that we dive into the, the parable of the ten virgins. But again, you'll find similar themes of, of preparation and urgency. And each of these parables talks about the imminent return of Jesus and the account that will be settled with two major questions. Where were you in relationship with Jesus? And what did you do with that? Jesus is very, very clear that the kingdom of God is not passive, but we are accountable to what we do 
to advance it. Now, just to clear things up before we, you know, before you get stuck on this, um, Jesus isn't talking about works-based righteousness in the midst of this. Like, he's not saying, like, if you're good enough, if you grind just enough good works and you do just enough good things out there, then, you know, boy howdy, you know, you're going to be welcomed right in. There's, there's more to it than that. Our faith has to, if our faith is going to be alive, it, ha- it has to produce fruit from it. All right, so that's the setup. Let's get into number two, the story. Let's dive into this thing. Out of the four uh, accounts, the four gospel accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew is the only one of the gospels that contains this parable. I think this is an important detail. It's both interesting and ironic uh, considering Matthew's past relationship with money. Matthew is a tax collector. And so to, to Matthew and to his colleagues, these principles of money management would have been things that would have made sense to them. That was one of the, key, one of the keys of, of any good parable uh, was that they, they, took, they took stories or they took uh, life, slice of life situations that people would have been able to understand to, to sandwich a, a godly teaching uh, in it. It's kind of like, tr- like trying to feed your dog a pill. Like, you have, any of you guys have dogs that have tried to, like, medicate your pup and you, like, stuff it in a little piece of hamburger and, like, a spoonful of peanut butter and kind of, you know, stick it in their back of their mouth so they don't know what's going on? That's kind of that's what a parable is. But in the midst of this, Jesus, uh, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God in the story. And if he's talking about this and, he, and he's urging us to recognize our responsibility within it and preparation for it, what does it mean to us today? Well, let's start with the observations of what we see in this text. Letter A, everyone was trusted, everyone was trusted by the master with a deposit. Each one of the characters in this parable was trusted by the master with a deposit. And every single one of them, and this is, this is something that's so interesting to me, that God knows each and every one of us so well. He knows us by name. He knows the number of hairs that are on our head. And he wants you and I to participate, to be a part of his kingdom work. He trusts you with it. And if you've ever felt like a second-rate Christian or part of God's B team, know that God's invitation for you to be a part of his kingdom isn't a one-sided arrangement. It's not like you're the last kid on the kickball field. Like, it's not like that at all. Like, he has a plan for you to be a part of it, active here and now. And, and it's not a one-sided arrangement. Yeah, we, we reap benefits from being an active part of it, but we do so by what he has given us as a deposit, or should I say, whom he has given us as a deposit. Commentator Matthew Henry wrote about this parable saying that Jesus was illustrating for his disciples what he was about to do. Like the master of his parable, he was preparing to go off to the far country. But, he was going to deposit something of incredible value with them to assist them in handling his affairs for him. In this story, it's bags of gold. 
But Jesus left us with a deposit of his Holy Spirit. Jesus, talking about leaving, said in, uh, in John 16, verse 7, But very truly, I tell you, it is, good for me, it is for your good that I am going away. And at that point, his disciples were like, Are you kidding, Jesus? This is the best thing ever. We've seen you do incredible things. We've seen you feed thousands of people. We've seen the, the blind restored to sight. We've seen the deaf restored to hearing. We've, we've heard demons shriek your name as they leave from people who've been afflicted for years and years what do you mean that it's good that you leave us Jesus is like I'm not finished unless I go away the advocate will not come to you but if I go I will send him to you You see, Jesus' disciples had their hearts set on Jesus restoring a, a political kingdom They were looking for Jesus to to be a political Messiah, to restore Israel to to its rightful rule and reign, restore it to the throne of, of King David. But Jesus had a greater kingdom in mind, one that would seek out the hearts of the nations. And in order to do so, he would leave you and I to work in tandem with his Holy Spirit, empowering you for the good. But it might look, it might look a little bit different for each person. And that's why, letter B, we need to recognize that each had abilities which the master recognized. I really, really love this statement that's found in in verse 15. Uh, Jesus says that the master gave each according to his abilities. The master gave each according to his ability. All right, why do I like that so much? Why do I think this is a beautiful statement? See, God sees the gifts that he has so confidently placed in you and he will give you opportunities to use and stretch and grow those gifts. You see, I don't think that the five talent or the five bag of gold person in the story started out as a five bag of gold person. I think he started out as a one bag and was given opportunity by the master to grow and to use those abilities. Of course, Jesus is telling a, fiction, a story here to make a point, right? So we don't have all of the backstory in the context, but if I were writing a, a bigger story around this, that's kind of what I think that, that's where I think it would have gone. But, but I see this, and I've seen this in my own life where God has given me opportunities to use uh, things or to, to challenge me or grow uh, gifts. And how beautiful is it that God, who could do whatever he wants, would say, hey, you, that thing I gave you, guess what? I love it. I gave it to you and I trust you with it. Use it. Use it. I gave it to you to use. But this comes down to letter C. Each had a choice of what to do with it. This is where the story starts to turn because this is the place where it comes down to you and I. 
You see, we love it that God trusts us to be a part of his kingdom work and, and the, that, uh, that he recognizes our abilities, but we don't so much like responsibility. And there's also a temptation within this to look at all that we, we, all that we have and all that we've been given and mistakenly believe that those talents or those abilities that, that the spirit that God has entrusted us with is for our own good and our own soul benefit. A few years ago, uh, Donald Miller, he's an author and, and CEO of a company called StoryBrand. Uh, they're, they're a company that helps uh, organizations define their, their, uh, their, uh, their brand. And, and uh, he was asked a, a series of, of questions about giftedness versus developing talent. Within this conversation, uh, Miller commented that one of the most tragic displays uh, within our culture with people who are exceptionally gifted is a failure to recognize that the gifts and abilities that we have all been given are not for ourselves. They are for the benefit of others. And sometimes when we make the, the, the choice to, to use that deposit that God has placed in us solely for our own benefit, we're, we're a lot like the, uh, the religious man that Pastor Mark talked about last week that, uh, that stands in the presence of God fixating on his own goodness and the marvelous specimen of creation that he is. And we run the risk of using our gifts solely for the benefits of ourselves or worse, burying them. Whatever you do with this deposit that God has placed within you, like the parable, letter D, each choice yielded a consequence. We often think, think about consequences as, as bad things, and, and uh, I know I have experienced natural consequences for my own actions, but this isn't always simply the, this isn't always the case. Uh, consequences are, are simply a result of an action or inaction. In this parable, we see two responses. One of those consequences is really amazing, and the other is not so much. To the two who invested the master's deposit and increased its value, the master does three things. He congratulates them on their good work. He promotes them, doubling their, his trust in them. And he invites them to share in their mutual success. The master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. There's an incredible joy that we get to share in with God when we are living in the confidence and power of his Holy Spirit at work with, within us and through us. And if you're actively doing this, like you, you know, you're gonna know what I'm talking about here. In those moments where like, in those situations where sometimes it feels like you're along for the ride, like God is doing an incredible work, you're along the ride, but there's no place that you would rather be than in that moment. It's awesome to see what God does when we're willing to trust him and trust the work of the Holy Spirit in and through us as we use what God has already placed in us for his glory and for the benefit of his kingdom. I have the, the unique place in life right now um, where 
having spent over a decade in, in ministry and, and most of that being youth ministry where I've gotten to see uh, students that I had as middle schoolers grow into high schoolers and, and graduate from college and become uh, adults. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity to connect with a, a young man named Aaron uh, who was in the first youth group that I was able to be a part of. And Aaron is, is now a youth pastor himself. And how cool is it to be able to see that here's this young man who was once a goofy kid. I mean, he's still a goofy kid in my eyes anyway. Um, but he's reaching, he's reaching other kids and he's having a, a significant impact in upstate New York right now. And I'm so proud of him. Uh, not because of anything that I did, but because, because we got to see God work uh, in his life. And the beauty of this situation and the parable is that the master isn't looking at the yield so much as he's looking at what we did with the deposit. He looks at the wise investment of the deposit. However, when talking about consequences, this is not the end of the story. We still have to talk about that brutal ending. And there's also one more servant to talk about. And this is going to take a, a, a heading of its own to unpack. Number three, the salty servant, a cautionary tale. Now, I don't have any notes written down here for you as far as an outline goes because I, I don't know what God wants to use in this for you today. And maybe there's some things that you need to write down in the midst of this for yourself. Remember, Jesus is telling a story about the end of all things and about the kingdom of God. So what is he trying to say with this final part? Much like the other two servants, the final one was called to account for what he did with the master's deposit. Rather than investing it or even using it, he turns to the master with an accusation instead. He said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. The servant took two postures of passivity with the master's deposit. His thought process on the front end was this, I didn't rate five bags of gold or even two. What's one bag of gold after all? He's only going to miss it if something happens to it. So I'm just going to hide it and hope that no one finds out about it. Let's talk about this in the greater context of what Jesus is talking about here. Remember, when Jesus talks about the master celebrating, he celebrates faithfulness in a few things. He celebrates faithfulness in a few things. With this servant, Jesus shares a cautionary tale about the believer who looks around them and sees all of the things that other people are doing and forgets that God has placed his Holy Spirit in them too, not just for past works, but for present and the future. And this is where the parable gets rich because remember, Jesus doesn't mince words in how he tells it. He says that the servant 
dug a hole in the ground and hid it. The irony within this parable is found in what else came from a deposit drawn from the dirt. You and me. In Genesis 2-7, the creation narrative talks about God forming man out of the dust of the ground and, and putting his breath of life into us. The same words and imagery that God uses for placing his spirit within people. That, ah, the breath of God. Remember, Jesus is talking about his kingdom, the end of all things, and our position within that kingdom. And the servant takes the breath of God, the most precious gift of God, and returns it to where it came from. How rude. I want you to think about this for a moment, and I don't want you to reflect on anyone else but yourself, and I know how difficult that can be. But I want you to think for a second and ask yourself the question, am I responsible? How am I being responsible with the gift of the Spirit of God living within me? And let me ask some questions from there. Are you actively using the gifts and abilities that God has given you to build each other up, to live godly lives in your families and in your communities and strengthen the kingdom of God? If not, you may be guilty of the same thing that the servant did, taking the gift of God and burying it in the dirt. And don't misunderstand me here. We all have one bag seasons. We all have one bag seasons of life where sometimes all you have is a story of heartache and the breath in your lungs and that is awesome. Live confidently that the same Holy Spirit that lifted Jesus out of the grave through whom the blind were restored to sight, he is with you. That's enough to turn any victim of circumstance into a victor. And yes, we will still experience sorrow and we will still experience struggle and we may still experience some of those consequences, those consequences of our actions. But if God is for you, who can be against you? But know this. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are charged with the responsibility to take opportunities to use the ma what the master has given you in order to see that everyone knows, everyone you know has the opportunity to see Jesus in you as he is. And this may be something as simple as people finding you having joy in circumstances where it doesn't make sense to have joy. Sometimes it's finding strength where you should be falling apart. Sometimes it's falling apart, trusting that God will be the strength that you need in the midst of the heartache and the headache. Remember I said the servant took two postures. We've really only talked about one. Let's go over that accusation again. I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. 
And what, what's so interesting to me is that the master does not for a second deny it. He does not deny the accusation. And if Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, this posture and this accusation uh, outside of saying, why would you, why would you, uh, if you have all of these, these people that are doing so many more things, why, why me? Why, why should I do anything with this little that you've given? The second thing that this, this, this accusation does, the second posture here is like the servant saying, God, I knew that you would use things that were never intended to bring you attention or glory and that you would use them anyway. So what do you expect me to do? And in this, the master's response is both swift and just. He takes what was his to begin with and entrusts it to somebody else, leaving the man with no talent or gold left to show. And he is also relieved of his position and sent out into place of sorrow and incredible regret. See, Jesus is warning us what will happen if we become complicit with the gift that he's given us. Remember, he isn't looking so much at the results. Those are his to worry about. God is looking at what we do with what he has given us, how it shapes us, our relationships, and the place of priority the kingdom of God has in everything that we do. And if you don't believe, if you don't believe that God can use even the the little things or even the ridiculous things, do I have a story to share with you that that it's a story that's not finished yet. It's a story that that keeps going. I am convinced, and I wanna set this up, I, I am convinced that God will use anything short of sin to draw our attention to himself. I am convinced that God so desperately wants our affections and wants relationship with his creation that God will use the most ridiculous things to bring him attention and to bring him glory. I've shared with you uh, in this past year and at our local church conference this year that uh, on the side, I've been given the opportunity to do some writing and that I'm writing for a a couple of of video game and technology websites. And a couple of months ago, I was was sent out to an event uh, and I I shared a little bit about that in the last message. But but during the process of reviewing uh, the the game that this event was promoting, um, there were so many themes There were so many Christian themes within there. Themes of baptism and repentance, themes of sin, themes about salvation. And as I'm writing this review, there's this thing that's aching on my heart of there's so much more here and there's so much more that God wants to say through this thing that was never intended to bring him glory. And so I took a chance. I wrote to my editor and said, hey, look, as I'm playing through this, there are so, there's so much more to talk about here. I have never for a second hidden the fact that I'm a pastor. Would you mind if I wrote a theological deep dive on this, these subjects? Now, Bill, who is a 10-plus-year veteran of this industry and who would describe himself as a hopeful agnostic with zero interest in religion, responds, I would love that. I remember sitting out in the foyer here during our fellowship time receiving that message and and I could not wait for church to be over, not because I didn't want to be with y'all, but because I knew that God was in the process of doing something. And so that afternoon, I am just like hammer hands on my keyboard, like praying while I'm writing this thing. 
And as it goes out and as I submit and I'm praying, God, would you take this and would you use this? Because within this, I'm able to lay out an outline of what sin is and how it separates us from God and, and, and how there's the, the only hope for us to find salvation from sin is in Jesus Christ and that, and that that was only possible for us because of his sacrifice on the cross, his death, his resurrection for you and for me and about grace and what that looks like and, and about the, the, the obedience that we go through in baptism of celebrating what God has done as he's brought us from death to life. And about 20 minutes later, I get a message from Bill. He says, I love it. It's going up tomorrow. The game was releasing that next Tuesday. It's going up before the, the actual preview did. And again, Bill, hopeful agnostic. Hi, Bill, if you're listening out there. Hopeful agnostic puts on his, out on his personal social media. Remember, this is a guy that's connected in this industry for over a decade, has connections all over the place. Writes, even if you are not a religious person, you owe it your, to yourself to read this article. I'm so proud of this work. I'm so proud to publish this on my site. And I don't know. I don't know who read about Jesus that week through a video game article but I know that some did. And I don't know the, the reaction to it, but I do know that I've had a couple of conversations with some people that were really touched by it. God was gathering where he had not sown. It was outside of the fields. And so sometimes, sometimes, that's what God will do in order to grow his kingdom. So what? So why does all of this matter today? We're gonna to land the plane here. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, know that he has promised to return. And in the meantime, he's left us to work in tandem with his Holy Spirit to continue reconciling people to himself, ultimately advancing the mission of the kingdom of God. And we have a responsibility to do something with the deposit that he has placed within us. We have the, his Holy Spirit in us. And even if it's simply sharing your story and the hope that you have found within it, be found faithful with a few things. Remember when I said at the beginning that if you were not a follower of Jesus, you could try this out. You're probably wondering, okay, how, how does this work for me? Honestly, I'm just full disclosure here. I'm gonna tell you this all works better with a relationship with Jesus as everything does. But this is how we would encourage you. Start by acknowledging the beauty and creation around you and let it inspire curiosity in why millions of people over the course of thousands of years would dedicate themselves to the pursuit of the love of God and look forward to the return of Jesus. Also look at ways to generously love people who are different than you, especially those ones who post controversial things on the internet and those people who are politically polarized to you. Find ways to love them. You're going to find it's really, really difficult to do that without Jesus. And if you are a Christian, maybe today God is challenging you to use what he has already given you. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's your talents. Maybe it's your resources. Maybe it's, it's your family. 
Maybe God is, is, uh, is drawing you to, to lead well and powered by his Holy Spirit in the places that he has placed you, whether you're a parent or a barista, whether you are an engineer or a pastor, whatever it is, wherever you find yourself, God wants to partner with you through the power of his Holy Spirit. And maybe today is a reminder that you don't have to be the best but you do have to be found faithful in what he's given to you. Because at the end of this story and at the end of ours, we will find one of two things. We'll either be found faithful and congratulated, promoted, and invited to celebrate with God, or we will find ourselves left without an excuse as a proverbial no-talent show. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know that a, a message like this can land all over the place. For some, it, it, it may be uh, an encouragement of, you know what, I'm, I'm in this place and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to use what God has given to me and that's, that's awesome. God, I pray for that person who is engaged in mission and ministry and, uh, and, and living and walking in step with your Holy Spirit and striving to, to honor you and advance your kingdom. God, I pray that this morning would be an encouragement, that they would be reminded of that, that well done, that well done of the master. God, for the, the person this morning that, uh, that feels like, you know what, I'm trying, I'm tired, God, I pray that you'd give an, an extra boost of encouragement of, of, uh, of reminding them that it is you that walks with them, that they are not doing this alone. And God, for the person today that feels like they're a one-bagger, like God has given all of his best gifts and his best abilities to everyone else, but what could he possibly want with me? God, I pray that you'd remind that person that they are known by name, that they are dearly loved, and that you trust them with that one bag. And again, that they don't do it alone, that you are with them. God, you have placed your breath, the breath of life, the breath of your spirit into each and every one of us. May we live victorious. God, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand with us this morning as we close in worship?